Hello, everybody, and welcome to My Niche Podcast about the one thing I know something about. Game shows, I suppose. I am your host, Jorn Haas, and it's a good episode, folks. A really, really good episode. So two weeks ago, I recorded a whole lot of uh, the solo episodes thinking I was going to get sick. And for a weekend, I kind of was. I kind of went under the weather. Uh, last week, I had a few guest episodes, and, and that was a blast to record. And I'm still trying to figure out the right juggle of things, because essentially, this podcast you're listening to is the podcast. The ones that guess are bonus episodes, because I'm not that big of a podcaster. I'm not that big of a, a, a get to get guests to come on, but uh, it was weird. I was able to get a whole lot of people to come on and talk game shows with me, so I, I, I'm scheduling to have them up on Fridays. And it's a blast, and I appreciate all the people who have agreed to come on and talk game shows with me. I haven't forgotten about you. They're coming. I just got to make sure to, to schedule it when and at a time when there's, like, big news articles and, or just put on Fridays like I have pretty much for the last few few episodes. But, uh, yeah, once again, th- thanks for, for everyone for, for doing the guest episodes. I recently did a poll uh, of what's your favorite episodes, the solo episodes or the guest episodes, and I'm going to take a guess. I haven't seen the results. I I had four options. Solo, uh, the guest, both are equally good, and I haven't seen it. I hate the podcast. I'm going to take a guess and say I hate the podcast is number one uh, because that's the comical answer. And then second will probably be the guest episodes because for most niche podcasts, it helps that someone uh, it, it appears on the show as a guest. So me, the, the host, has someone to talk to when it comes to a game show. And I enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, the original format I had was almost like that where... I have part deep dive, and then the guests come on and watch a podcast of my choosing. But I, I just don't care to do it that way because, because the, then you're just going to get people to come on and watch something they might not want to ever watch, and and I don't really appreciate doing that as far as a, a game show podcast is concerned. This is supposed to be a positive kind of game show podcast. <laughs> Where if it's going to be someone's watching a bad thing, it's at their own discretion or because they couldn't choose anything better, I guess. Uh, so with a guest episode, they can choose whatever game show they want. And they could pick a, a new show like, like uh, Mask Singer if you're Jack Allison uh, or something that they really love like The Genius if you're Reese. And uh, the, these batch of episodes, it, it's a great mixed bag and I think... If you are a longtime listener, you're going to love these episodes. And if you're new, I think that's going to be a good starting point, if not this episode, to figure out uh, what the whole niche of this podcast is. Uh, essentially, every episode, I talk about a podcast to exhaustion, and then that's it. And then on bonus episodes, I have a guest on, and they talk about a game show with me. But it's not towards exhaustion. It's not a deep dive. It really is about a 45-minute uh, interview process. And then the rest, I just kind of just, you know, bullshit around. That's kind of most podcasts these days, I found out. Uh, so that's the way it's going to go. Uh, and I just want to say, 
right after I recorded some of this, I found out I was a, a guest on Struggle Session. Uh, so if you are a, a first time listening to this podcast because of Struggle Session, uh, I, I guess plugging the show did its job. Uh, that's great. I didn't even say game shows, I suppose, but you found it. Good detective work. Uh, also, thanks a lot to uh, Leslie Lee III and Jack Allison and Jonathan Daniel Brown for having me on to talk about the Fire Festival, which is not a game show, but it is in my wheelhouse because my degree is in cinema and television arts with an emphasis on documentary filmmaking, even though I've really encouraged the need to be a game show person. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. Can't do a game show degree, but you can do documentary filmmaking which I guess makes analyzing two documentaries about a fraudulent music festival a, a, a perfect time. Uh, also, I'm pretty sure uh, Leslie and Jonathan Daniel Brown are coming on the show soon. I just have to schedule accordingly, make sure we find good game shows for them to watch, and make sure the whole thing isn't a mess. Uh, it, it's one of the pillars I want to have when it comes to a guest on the show. Uh, yes, I do want funny people to come on because, I mean, most niche podcasts need to have that entertaining guy. I mean, dude, Doug Benson, what a, what a weirdo, am I right, folks? But uh, also when it comes to this, I kind of want two kinds. I also want, like, niche podcasts to come on because this is my niche and they have their niche. And it's always weird to see from their perspective how they feel about something that's my niche. Like, if you have a sports podcast, come on. If you have a movie podcast, come on. Uh, if you do a video game podcast, sure. I, I welcome a lot of people who have a niche podcast, and this is all they really talk about, to go on my bullshit game show podcast. Uh, the other ones are, of course, leftists. Uh, I hate to get all political on you, but the world is fucked, and capitalism's bad. But also, because looking at on, on, the, on the outlook of politics... Yeah, a lot of game shows tend to have very strong Republican people, like your Pat Sajaks, your Chuck Woolery's of the world, Merv Griffin. That uh, it, it's kind of understandable why it's cheap and exploits labor, and they make a lot of profit off it. It makes sense. On the other side too, it's the analytical standpoint of the individual, the contestant, uh, f on their own accord. Uh, getting rich and powerful through the means of prizes and cash off their own talents, by which it means trivia shows or just plain old luck or however you want to explain a game show on how they made their money because every format's different. Uh, that I really want to bring on uh, people from, from podcast. I mean, video games are worst thing on earth is a good example. Jack Allison's Struggle Session is a great example. Uh, just people who know how to reflect on media should be on the show. And and, and it just so happens a lot of these people uh, really want things to be unionized. And game shows typically aren't unionized, to say the least. Uh, some of them have SAG after credits, though, which is weird. But that that's that's kind of how it goes, I, I, I suppose. Game shows, I suppose. That's my podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, anyway, uh, now it's time for the news segment of the show. Usually we'll, we start the show with some news. Uh, the first one is uh, from our most recent episode with uh, Jack Allison and the Masked Singer. Uh, according to a parade 
uh, dot com uh, interview with Ken Jong. Ken Jong reveals the secret to the Masked Singer's success. Here is what he says about the Masked Singer. The secret is the format. The Masked Singer is for game shows rolled into one. It's part American Idol, part The Voice, part Dancing with the Stars, and a little vintage What's My Line. The format is the star. And so there you have it, Jack Allison. Uh, Dr. Ken says it's a game show, therefore it, it's a game show. Also, it's four game shows in one. And the final part where he says, the, the, a little vintage What's My Line, that's exactly where I was coming from in my angle of The Masked Singer. Uh, the, the mystery uh, guest round where the contestant, where the panel is blindfolded and they have to guess who the celebrity is. It's only subverted because the audience doesn't know either because everyone uh, doesn't see who the person is because that person's in a big old costume. Uh, American Idol and The Voice and Dancing with the Stars. I mean, that would make sense uh, in, in various ways. Dancing with the Stars in terms of the fact it's mostly, let's face it, just regular B-listers, singers and dancers and performers just trying to stay relevant in their careers by going on Dancing with the Stars. Uh and they get a trophy at the end. That's also the same prize that's on The Masked Singer. It's just the trophy. Uh, the voice in American Idol is because they're both singing shows, I guess? I mean, you're kind of just... You kind of just said two of the same singing show. Uh, the difference is American Idol it has an audience vote, and same with The Voice, and neither of those two play a role in The Masked Singer as the audience in the studio is the one that votes, not the one at home. Um, that's an issue there. Uh, there is no captain, so it can't be the voice. And unlike American Idol, uh, not everyone on the panel is a recording expert, Ken Jong being one of them. So close, but uh, I would say the appeal is the play-along factor of guessing who it is and the fact that they can sing songs. So that's kind of it. It's like the writing. I kind of explained it in the episode. Go listen to it. Go listen to that episode. I, that's what I say. So the uh, other news that came out uh, comes from The Verge. Apparently, uh, HQ has decided to go with a points-based system now, with these points uh, translating to prizes at the end of a respective season. Uh, that's the new rule for HQ. Now, if you've never seen HQ, uh, it, it, it's going to be weird. Uh, so, in the rules of HQ... It's like a Battle Royale 1 versus 100 game if the first episode of games are those suppose. Everyone plays on a phone, and there's a question with three possible answers. You have 10 seconds to answer it. If you're right, you stay alive in the game. If you're wrong, you're out, unless you have a bonus life. Whoever is the last one standing, or in the case of HQ, after 12 questions, maybe 13 questions, whoever is surviving after the 13th question gets to split the cash jackpot, which currently stands at 1,000. No, no it, it's, um, it used to be that way. It used to be, I, I remember when it was like 500 bucks, like 100 bucks, then 500 bucks, and then suddenly it's like, here's $100,000, here's 25,000 on some bonus episodes. And that's an okay idea. I know we're probably going to talk about HQ at one point in, in this show. But uh, it, it's a fascinating way of looking at, at a game show is, is this communication through the smartphone and my needs of a live broadcast, which I think is the future of game shows in some form or another. So uh, the way they're changing it now is for every correct answer you get is points, and eventually you can redeem them for either prizes or in-game rewards, such as just skipping straight to question 10. 
Um, but let's stay in the game up till question 10 without having to actually get answer correct. Uh, so there's like a real fast pass if you want, and, and I think that's okay uh, if you're trying to make the game feel like there's more lifelines and more strategy, but to me, I think that that just uh, hinders the game a whole lot. What that does is telling you that you don't matter as a contestant and that more people could win, and they can split that pot, which means of the $1,000 jackpot, where you'll eventually get maybe like 12 bucks and some change, now you'll get $4 in some change instead, which, okay, that's a, that's something, I suppose, but it, it, it's not, I would say, the extent of the game. I think if you're going to do a points-based system, I mean, you can go for that. You can go for everyone gets to stay, like, like make that the consolation kind of game. Like, everyone gets to play for points no matter what, all the questions, so you have to hang in there. And in the point system, uh, whoever has the most points wins uh, a bonus thing at the end of the season. And that's like a bonus cash prize. So so how about you just do it that way where it's and it's like you can get up to 10 points per question or it's the first question's worth one point then two, then three, then four, then five, then six and seven and keeps going from there. Uh, and that way you can determine your top score that way. And in addition to that, uh, Everyone who the big top the big point winner uh, gets like a bonus prize or if it's a tie they split it because that's HQ for you and if it's a anyone else who has been playing in there uh, they could also have a chance to enter in a bonus prize contest or something like the best of the week or uh, the, the the second chance jackpot of after like seven days of games, whoever has the most points wins like 50 bucks or something. Something cheap, like a $25 Amazon gift card. It's just something tolerable for them. That's what I would do. I wouldn't do a point system unless you're going to like make some sort of like Dave and Buster's winner circle where you're going to win like a giant card, like playing cards or... Maybe some poker chips. Speaking of which, that's going to be our game today. It's Card Sharks. Uh, so so uh, the only other thing to happen is uh, Celebrity Big Brother started, and it's shit. I hate it. I'm not watching it, and I'm probably going to be talking about it more on on the the net, on the guest episode. But until then, uh, let's get started and talk about one of my favorite game shows of all time, Card Sharks. So... Uh, it, it's gonna first be a, about me. Um, Guard Sharks was the first DOS game I've ever played. Uh, when I was like four or five, uh, I was like a latchkey kid for a bit. Uh, grandma died. All that sad stories that you would normally hear. And I had to basically eventually just have to be daycared at my mom's company. Uh, in this little office where there's just the DOS computer and, you know, a little radio so you can listen to music. I think Radio Disney just debuted. And uh, DOS. I had a DOS. I mean, I didn't have Windows 95 yet. I had a DOS computer. And a uh, few uh, DOS games because, hey, everyone knows Jordan likes game shows nowadays. He's like four. Uh, so there was uh, Classic Concentration. There was Family Feud. And there was uh, Card Sharks. And the first one I played was Card Sharks. Uh, this was before I knew it was a game show. I just knew playing cards. How fun. Uh, that was uh, an interesting thing. Also, coincidentally, when I first got Game Show Network, 
Card Sharks was the first game show I saw. It wasn't even one of those call-in shows, so that's fascinating things. So there is a bit of a backstory of Card Sharks and me. Um, but now let me tell you about Card Sharks. Uh, the game show Card Sharks, you know, it's actually Card Sharks is not the original term. It's actually Card Sharp. That's the terminology. Card Sharks uh, is just kind of a, a misdemeanor. The game show, which was a Goodman Todman production, which, you know, is the, the hallmark of game shows at the time, uh, was actually created by one Chester Feldman. You don't really know who Chester Feldman is. Let me delve into it. He originally was a producer for The Ed Sullivan Show. Then he was an associate producer for Make the Connection. Then he was a producer for I've Got a Secret in 1967, before working his way up to a producer for I've Got a Secret, and then he became an executive producer for shows like Child's Play, Trivia Trap, Super Passwords, and served as an executive producer for a revival of Card Sharks in the 1980s, which we'll talk about soon. But uh, what made it so amazing was its idea started from the game show King of the Hill, a pilot that flopped. A lot of times when a game show pilot flops, that's the end of the world. But when there's a mechanic in there that works, sometimes that becomes part of the show. Inspired by the card game AC Ducey, Card Sharks is going to be one of the, pretty much one of the greatest luck-based game shows to ever devise because of how simple it is and how silly the format actually was. Let me tell you about it. So it started in the year 1978. And it lasted in 1981. It was hosted by one Jim Perry. Jim Perry was a later going on to do Sale of the Century and a bunch of other game shows. Canadians know him as the host of Definition. And the people at Sesame Street know him because he served as the inspiration behind Sesame Street's favorite game show host, Guy Smiley. Anyway, so the game, it's very simple. There is uh, two contestants, and each of them gets five cards with their own personal deck of 52 cards. That deck is shuffled, and then they got to cut them before the game began. There is four questions coming out of a question booth, which Jim Perry would sometimes call G2T2, like Goodman Todman got get funny. Like Star Wars. Uh, anyway, so instead of your usual trivia questions, because this was Goodman Todman, and this was coming right off the cusp of Family Feud, which was also inspired by Match Game, follow the trend here. <laughs> if it wasn't for Family Feud, we would not have Card Sharks. If it wasn't for Match Game, we wouldn't have Family Feud. So for, for Card Sharks, there was surveys. Much like in Family Feud, we asked 100 waiters, have you ever spit in a customer's food? How many waiters admitted they have spit on a customer's food? And that person will have to guess, out of 100 people, how many have done it? That would be with the first contestant. Then contestant two would have to survey if it's higher or lower than that. And both of them come up with very funny explanations as to why, because that's the way you gotta, I guess talk out the question which leads to some hilarious banter then the result is revealed and if it's higher or lower uh it works if the person who picked higher was higher they win if it was lower and they said higher the person who gave the number uh gets control of the cards 
they get to reveal their set, uh, their first card, and they have to decide, is it higher or lower than the card? Aces in this game are high. Twos are low. And if they play their cards right, they'll win the dough on Card Sharks. Yes, it is called Player Cards Right in the UK. We will be discussing that real soon. So they get to see a card, and they can decide to change it. Or just keep it as it is. If they're right on a higher low decision on the next card, uh, they can advance and go on to the number three card, and then to number four card, and then to the fifth card, which is the winning card of the round. If at any point the pressure gets to be too much, or they see a card that is a little bit questionable, like a seven, eight, or nine, they can freeze, and we stop the game at that point and return with a new survey question for control of the cards. Once someone, after four survey questions, if someone has not, actually after the three survey questions, the fourth question becomes the, the tiebreaker question. And that person has to make a big decision with their control of the game. They could either play, on, play it or force their opponent to finish all five of their cards, but without the need to change it. There is some strategy at the end of this game. And also, because this is the 70s and 80s, it is the best two out of three games, much like your favorite MLG, baby. Uh, and for each game one, you get 100 bucks. At least that's how it was in, in 1978's edition. If you got two out of three, you would go on to do the money cards. Uh, the money cards would work a little something like this. Uh, you would get $200 at start, and there'll be three cards shuffled and put on the bottom. Then, if you go to the second round, we'll give you an extra $200, later $400, and three more cards going through level two. And then, when it gets to the top, there's only one card left, the big bet, where you must bet at least half your money. Uh, all the increments are in $50 increments, and if you bust, you go on to the next level, regardless of what happens. The only time you are the game ends is if you're in level two or the big bet. You wager everything and you make a wrong decision. That, that's essentially card sharks in the 70s and in the 80s. Uh, there, there is a little layer to that, but I, I think we should just start right now with Jim Perry's edition. So uh, the dealers uh, that was Chance Baker, Laura Serino, and Pennington and Marky Post. Uh, and those were the dealers that served as the models and the flip and partially the, the card flippers in sometimes. But later it became Jim Perry to just do the flippy cards because I guess it's tough for a model to flip a card, I guess. I don't. I guess he just hand Jim the card. That's a job. Yay, industry work. Uh, the survey questions are my favorite part of the show because it is stuff that is pretty mundane. Uh, but also something that could be slightly controversial. Uh, things like we asked 100 college students, have you ever smoked weed inside your dorm? How many admitted they smoked weed? We asked 100 registered Republicans, are you currently dating or married to a Democrat? How many said they are? Things like that would be the 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 classical wacky questions that would work on the show uh and i, I it makes sense so if you play your cards right in the money cards 
uh, it goes $200 and there's three cards. So let's double every time. The 200 becomes 400. 400 becomes 800. 800 becomes 1600. Then we go on to level two where there's $200. That means it's 1800. That means 3600. 7200. 14,400 to 20,800. Because of that awkwardness of it, if you played your card rights the entire time, they added 400 bucks. They doubled it in level two. So that way, if you started in that first row, you got your 200 and you made all the way to 1600, you got 400 bucks at the start of level two. And that's $2,000, which means now you can go 4,000, $8,000, all the way to, I believe that was the finale was $16,000 to 32,000. That's right. Um, yes. So, oh, I messed up because the $200 is, I, I bungled it up because the $200 to $400 is only in the Bobby Banks version. Okay. That's, I went too hard. I went too fast. I wasn't thinking, but yeah, it's a layer $400 in the later episodes. The game hasn't changed. The game hasn't changed when it revives. Uh, so in the top price of $20,800 in Jim Perry's round, and then you get to come back and you are the returning champion. So you get to keep playing and you can play up to five times. And of course there's a win limit. And of course no one has ever won $20,800 on card sharks, but I like Jim Perry's hosting style because I think he bring something that made every question seem elegant and yet dignified we asked 100 married women do you balance your checkbook how many married women said they do balance their checkbook that and i kind of when i originally was, was trying to personate hosting that, that was kind of the demeanor i was going for it was that chuck it was that jim perry just swagger that he just does so well Thank you, Botany Five Hundred, for providing his wardrobe. Uh, so when it goes, so it gets canceled. Unfortunately, it ends after a while. Uh, the first Jim Perry thing ended in 1981, so it disappears. And then five years later, it would show up again. This time on CBS, hosted by the one and only Bobby Banks of the Newlywed Game and of the. You know, the Rose Parade in Pasadena. Uh, the, the version on that is actually uh, the same. Uh, the, we survey 100 people, wacky things happen, higher or lower, on a five-card draw. Uh, the difference is, in this time around, and then there was one with Bill Rafferty from 1986 to 1987 in syndication, which you can buy. Um, that, it, it plays similar. There are prize cards in the deck for some reason. You have to have prize cards shuffled in the 52 now. And to add even more gimmicks to it, there's jokers. And if you get a joker, that helps you out in the car bonus round now. And there is a... Uh, now there's 10 people in the audience questions. So instead of doing We Surveyed 100 People, we brought in 10 people who are all, say, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. And we asked them this question, and then they had to stand up if they said yes or no to something, and the host gets to figure it out. That's fun. Uh, then there's estimated guest questions, which if you've ever played the board game Wits and Wagers, you can kind of figure out what the questions are like. How many pennies uh, can fit in a standard uh, venti Starbucks coffee? Something like that. Uh, 
it's an estimation, then you can go higher or lower than that to win control of the cards. I I don't know why they made the change other than maybe it took too long to survey 100 people and find specific people with specific traits. But there we go. I guess that's the thing that happens this time around. Uh, but considering games like Gespionage exist, I mean, it's pretty easy to get survey questions. I mean, Power of Ten is a survey-based game show too. So sometimes maybe you don't even need to do sometimes a hundred. I mean, hundred people surveyed is definitely will help. But maybe you can like get a big, like make it go bigger and just poll the entire country and go what percentage of Americans believe. If you're going to do that route, um, that that's how I would at least if I was struggling to figure out survey questions what would make for fun and interesting questions but uh that's that's card sharks that's how you play the card sharks uh anyway the game itself is pretty fun it's still funny it's still wacky it's card sharks i i say it's one of the top tier game shows because it mixes comedy with uh luck-based game show mixed with money or throwing money around that that's kind of the appeal i feel with card sharks so card sharks would go on a game show marathon game show marathon uh was kind of a, a weirder version of it because on that version it was a thousand dollars three cards and another thousand dollars three cards and then the big bet and everything still looked like it was the 1970s edition but that was Weird, and they but they got a realistic replica of the Card Sharks cards. That's because uh, I think Game Show Network's own Bob Bowden brought the cards over for the duplications. Uh, anyway, starting on September 29th, 1986, on the syndicated version, and on October 27th, on the daytime version, a second bonus round following the money cards was added to give players a chance to win a brand new car. Originally, the round was played using jokers. The contestant earned one for winning the match and win more if any of the three digital jokers were in the money cards deck came up which were set aside and replaced with the next card on top of the deck the contestant then placed the jokers in a rack of seven numbered cards if any of the chosen cards revealed car after it was turned over the other cards read no in a much smaller lettering and enclosed in a circle the contestant won the car the jokers had to be placed joker side up should the contestant place them face down Either the host would remind the contestant or the card over himself, sometimes with dealer assistance. During special weeks, when children played, top prize was usually a trip to Hawaii or a price package featuring a boat. Beginning on July 4th, 1988, the card game would be changed to a use an audience poll group. The question was played the same way it would normally be used during regular gameplay, with the contestant predicting how many of the poll group gave a certain answer. For this bonus round, a prop of a dial was used, and the contestant moved the dial to lock in his or her guess. A correct guess won the car, and missing by one either way won $500, except during Young People's Week in the final episode when being one away also won the car. All our incorrect guesses won nothing more. So because this was Goodsman Toddman, a lot of things were replicated. And anyone who's a game show fanatic would already know some of these things. For instance, the theme song to Card Sharks was not just the theme to Card Sharks. The theme to Card Sharks was originally the theme song to the game show Double Dare. Not to be confused with the Nickelodeon Double Dare. No, 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 that's a totally different Double Dare. Okay, Double Dare, the slime, that's, that's, that. Do, 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 do. That's a totally different, no. This was a Alex Trebek game show that was before Jeopardy. 
Uh, you, you had to beat a panel of experts, and, and they were called spoilers, but uh, whatever. Uh, it's repurposed. In addition to that, uh, the, the losing horns was the Price is Right losing horns if you busted on the money cards. In addition to that, music from the Price is Right when instructing what the cars were in the Eubanks and Rafferty version were from the Price is Right as well. It's that cheap of a show, I guess, but uh, whatever. I gotta now explain the set because th this is what you see. It's a regular studio with just a big red background. I think it's just red trimming lights. And there is just a little LED card. There's a little like neon card shark sign. And then some light up aces and twos. And then there's two uh, rotating turntables. And within those rotating turntables, there is uh, one that is the money cards set slash contestant set. And another that is the basically the, the main game board with the five cards on the top and five cards on the bottom. One's red, one's blue. When the contestant podium's on the opposite side where the money cards would normally be, but there's two of them, one red, one blue. Uh, it, it, and it's very simplistic. And in the center is just a green felt. It basically looked like a uh, if you were just standing on a giant blackjack table. I think that was the aesthetic they were going for. Because it's greens and reds. The champion got to be the red cards. The challenger was the blue cards. One problem that people had with uh, card sharks uh, came at the time of the money cards. So when the rule is it's higher or lower. For instance, let's just say it's a four. Is the next card a higher or lower than a four? Let's say you say it's higher than a four because statistically speaking, the next card will definitely be higher than a four because you'll only need to worry about a three or a two. If it's a four, it also counts as a wrong call, but it's not in the hands of you. So you would lose the money. Uh, that, that becomes considered a wrong prediction and you lose your bet. So later on in the card sharks, uh, their push rule would be in effect where say you called four and a four gets called, you don't lose any money. No harm, no foul. Uh, so if you ever check out like any of these game show worlds, there is a debate about push rule, good or bad, because push rule good because, hey, more money. But also, there's no risk anymore and no possibility of, even if someone has a good hot streak, say someone has a two, which means the there's no numbers lower that you can get than two. It all has to be higher. There's no real chance that the guy can bungle it up and then randomly a two just shows up and they lose everything if they decide to go all of it higher. So the push rule was in effect simply because when Jim Perry had the, card, the money cards, a contestant ended up with four threes in a row is it higher than a three it's a three er, is it higher than a three it's a three er, is it higher than a three it's a three er. and of course that would just annoy anybody because you had a three clearly you had an upper hand here but four of a kinds would mess it up so and then the push will be going to effect where there's no harm, no foul. We just carry on over to the next card or go up the level, which I also enjoy. So now let's move on to the United Kingdom. 
there is a game show called Player Cards Right in the United Kingdom. This was the game show that was popular in 1980, hosted by Bruce Forsyth. Rest in peace. This is the show with Bruce Forsyth saying, what do points make? Prizes. Also, one that started the whole Brucey bonus. Player Cards Right is played exactly like Card Sharks, where same thing, there's, well, instead of it being contestants, like one-on-one, -on -one, it's couples. Cute little couples. The surveys are still the same. We asked 100 diners, we asked 100 tattoo artists, we asked 100 uh, people attending a Broadway play, and, get, and then what's your number, higher or lower, for control of the five-card hand. And uh, what was special about it was, because this was a UK game shows, I guess, on our version, if you guessed exactly on the nose, say the answer was 42, and you said 42, you would get 500 bucks no matter what happens in your game. On this one, you get a case of champagne! It's, uh, congratulations, I, I guess. Uh, the winner of each of the two games in the first half would get a prize known as a Brucey bonus. The overall winner was the first couple to win two games, much like in the original Card Sharks. If the third game was required, three cards would be played with each couple instead of five. And a third question on the fourth. The winning couple got 200 points to begin with. Brucey would then ask a question. They got it right. They went in an extra 50 points, but they got it wrong. They lose 50 points. There were two rows of three cards to dealt out, going from left to right and upward, and one final card at the tippity top. At the start of each row, they could change their card, but at the start of the second row, they got an extra 200 points. The rules are the same as the previous game, but they had to bet on each turn of the card with a, max, a minimum bet of 50 points or up to the number of points that they have in the game. When they got to the final card, the couple's score determined the price they played for. If they got 4,000 or more, they could play for the car, which was a separate game on the US version. They were asked a simple question, usually to name five of something. No one ever got this wrong, and then predicted higher or lower for the final card. If they were right, they would win the car. If not, they won a prize based on their score. In the 90s version, points became pounds. What do points make? Pounds! But the school rules remain the same. Also on the final card, if they have 4,000 pounds or more and they were wrong, they would just have the money, which was emphasized that their money was safe. If the couple got the final card with under 4,000 pounds, they could choose to take the money or gamble it all on the last card. With Bruce emphasizing this, the rules are strict here. It's all or nothing. The maximum amount of money that could be won was 17,600 pounds, which was never achieved. The highest win was 9,500 pounds. It's so nice to see you, to see you N nice. Uh, also, he also said, you don't get anything for a pair, not in this game, when referring to the push rule we just brought up. And the reason I want to bring this up is because of that revival. The original player cards, right, happened around the time of the Jim Perry card sharks. So Bruce Forsyth was hosting that in the UK. When they were reviving it in 1986, Bruce Horsife was in the mix as a possible host for it before going to Bob Eubanks and Bill Rafferty, which I think is a fun, fun fact to have. Uh, also, the rules were essentially the same. And unfortunately, Player Cards Right would then get canceled in 1987. 1987. It got revived in 1994 to 1999. And then there was a little twist. Because America never really had a card sharks. It kind of ended in the 80s. So there was a chance to revive it in the year 2000.
there was a pilot that became the 2001 format's format. Uh, it was hosted by Pat Bolliard, and the dealer was Daphne Duplay. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Where are my Daphne heads at? Wup, wup. I'm making a joke because I think they were trying to go for shock value because she was a Playboy Playmate and because she's the host of the game show called Show Us Your Wits. Yeah, that's the game show. Don't look it up unless you really want to see Pornhub. So the contestant basically, instead of survey questions this time, we got a hitting camera bit and the contestant had to guess what the outcome was, yes or no. If they were right, they got control of the cards, but it wasn't a high-low game yet. It was a game of blackjack. If the blackjack could total 12 or more, they could stand. And if they won, they get $200. And then it would go into round two where the delts, three cards were dealt and the question was played. The winner of this was, was shown the first card and choose either played the cards or pass it to their opponent. Whoever played the cards had to correctly predict whether the following cards were higher or lower than the previous card. If they were successful, they won $300. Otherwise, the opponent won the money. After a first set of cards, another question, four cards were dealt, played the same fashion for $400, and then again for $500. And then in the final one, each player was dealt five cards from the same deck as opposed to separate decks. Questions were played from before by whoever in control played their cards with the options from the rules in the old game. And then there was the, the, the money cards. But, uh, look, uh, that's the pilot. In the real version, the one that was became the, the main... 2001 card sharks card sharks 2000 slash card sharks 2001 so in this version there was the the a contestant it's tournament style uh it's uh 1v1 and then the winner of that goes to the final called the big deal and they go up against the winner of the other 1v1 game in act two in this one one person just gets to start the game and there's only one set of seven cards and they get to reveal the first card by one Tammy Anderson. Tammy then reveals the first card and the contestant just goes higher or lower. There is no freezing in this version of Card Sharks. You just have to keep playing. However, there is two times in the game, either at this first round or in the big deal round, an ability to change the card in the form of the clip chip. When you use a clip chip, a hilarious, and I do mean laugh out loud, hilarious game is played where there is a hidden camera or sometimes not so hidden camera where there is a wacky scenario. Well, looks like this person is about to leave with the groceries. Well, we'll freeze it. Do you think this person will gladly go back in there, yes or no, to get this person some milk. Oh, hilarious hidden camera bit bits. Like, can the contestant, can this random person from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, name five songs from the Beatles? If they were correct on their prediction, they get to change the card, which could prove as an advantage because whoever has control of the sixth card really has the big advantage because that seventh card is the all-important card where if it's a correct prediction of higher or lower, they will advance in the game. That's right, folks. Have you figured out the game-breaking mechanic in here? You could do diddly squat and have someone completely mess up on, on card five so that you get stuck on card six and make the decision to have seven. 
Or just maybe you had someone with an amazing streak. And let's just let's do a hypothetical here. You start with an ace. Lower, it's a two. Higher, it's an ace. Lower, it's a two. Higher, it's an ace. Hey, I'm going to go lower. It's a two. All right. Card six, I'm going ace. It's an ace. All right. What are you going to do? Lower, it's an ace. Oh, I'm sorry you lost. That's that's card sharks. You could do Dilly Squat and have someone win instead. Because it's that bad of a luck-based game show. Sometimes. If you won your respective game, you got $1,000. The runner-up got a digital camera. And in round two, the big deal round, the winner got a bonus $1,100. While the runner-up got a trip to Las Vegas in addition to the $1,000 they kept. Yeah. So now we move on to the money cards. And now it's a little bit more dramatic. It's the act four. It's the bonus round, the big final round. There's $700 and three cards to play with. You can change your cards only on the starting point. After that bottom row, we'll go to level two, where we'll give you another $700 and two more cards to play. After that, you must go to the third row, the top one, where you get an extra $700 and one final card to play. That means you're playing for your $2,100 because it's $2,100 divided by three is $700. But it's not the big bet. It's called the major wager. And the contestant with the $700 has to bet at least half the money. So let me tell you how that works in the math max. You start at 700, you double to 1400, you double to 2800, you double that to 5600. Then you get your bonus 700, which puts you at 6300. Then you double that to 12,600. Then you double that to 25,200. Then you get your extra 700, which puts you at 25,900, which means if you double it, $51,800. That they were trying to promote the fact you can get $50,000 in the game. So the weird thing here is in the original version of the 2001 tapings, the push rule was in effect, where if it's a tie, there's no harm, no foul, you get your money. But later on, the push rule would go away, where then you would lose all your money if it was a tie. But if you go bust, no matter what happens, you get $700. A lot of this set was just a screen and a bunch of weird props that look like weird golden walls. Uh, if it looked familiar to a lot of people, that's because that set is repurposed later for Whammy, the all-new Press Your Luck. Once again, it's it's the Goodman, it's the Bart Goods and Bill Todman uh, recycle plant, uh, where where a lot of set stuff uh, returns. No one Card Tricks just does not have its own unique look. It looks like it's just the cards, and that's it. That's all you get. In addition to that, I just remember there was a flip phone game because I played that in middle school and there was an online game from Uproar in 2001-2002. The fun thing about both these versions is none of them involved the clip chip. They were both the same five card hand that was featured in the 70s and the 80s versions of Card Sharks. And ultimately, uh, it, it's downfall because mostly people were bothered by the game. Uh, it's not like the original card sharks where everyone has their own hand, so they're in their own fate. Someone could really just lose because of one wrong hand when they had an amazing streak going. In addition to that, it's the hitting camera hilarious 
games that kind of felt out of place in this game show. Uh, I figure that's kind of also a, a cause and effect. Also, the I will now say some positives, though, however, for the new version, is I do kind of like the money cards they had there because the way they had the set dressing on it, the contestants' back was to the audience, making it seem a little bit more dramatic. There was some background dramatic music, and then when they flipped the cards, there was a bit of, you know, sound effects that, that make it seem like, hey, it's a little more crucial. As the cards keep going up, the tension rises and rises, and, you know, allegedly the money would go up and up. Uh, that that's, makes for an interesting format, I feel. Uh, what I like most about Card Sharks is so much the fact that you can easily play it because it's just AC Doocy. Just shuffle playing cards, grab five of them, and then say higher or lower on them. That's it. Uh, anyone who's a big fan of Fish Center Live would be familiar with AC Doocy because of Cut Bait as one of their mini games played on Fish Center Live on Adult Swim. So when it comes to Card Sharks, I think the game is 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 one of the first games kind of nearly come second in favor of the comedy aspects of the survey questions i think the game works because the survey in 100 people came straight out of the playbook of family feud that being said this seems to be more or less the you know the black sheep of the goodson library because it's just you know forgotten there is no element that makes it unique. It really is just, here's a plain black wall that looks like a table. Here's a plain black wall that looks like a table. Here's some survey questions that probably got thrown out during family, like when we were asking Family Feud people, hey, could you mind asking some yes or no questions too for our other game show? Yeah, okay. There is no background. There's nothing exciting going on during the game. Uh, it, it comes across as relatively cheap. And the hard part isn't so much enjoying the show, because I enjoy the show. I do not think the questions still hold up if you ever played the DOS version these days, because holy moly, there is still questions about, we asked 100 mil chauvinists, do you believe a woman's place is still in the kitchen? And it's like, holy shit, this was in a video game in 1986. Amazing. Uh... <laughs> But but sexism aside, folks, we have to go back to the UK version because in the 2002, they had their own revival of Player Cards Right. Now in this version, so it's played with four couples and everyone gets to draw one card. And whoever was the two couples with the highest cards would get to play the card sharks for the game. Or sorry, Player Cards Right. The other two would get eliminated. Well done, you winners, and so sorry, losers. We are really we're sorry you to lose you so early in the show. Tough. The rules of the main game were exactly the same as the original version, except for the Brucey bonus was now 1,000 pounds. If couples won both the games, the losing couple would be sent home with a case of champagne before the break. Otherwise, the losing couple would get to keep the 1,000 pounds for winning their one game. There was no money awarded for the tiebreaker. In the casual cards... Bruce would ask the winning couple a ridiculously hard, trivial, or stupid question. They often pondered for a few seconds over this, and then Bruce said, aren't you glad we don't have to answer a question like that? To which the audience would laugh, except on these two occasions when contestants actually correctly answered the question. Shocking Bruce, 
who accused the contestants through a humorous narrative of ruining the show, prompting much more laughter from the audience. In the cash cards, the couple were given 1000 to start, with their minimum bet had to be £100, and they could bet the whole lot if they wanted to. If the couple survived the first three cards, and are 500 be added to the total. On the final card, the couple had to bet at least half the amount at that point, as was the case of all runs of the American version. If a couple bet on the whole lot in the wrong way during the first three cards, that card would be put on the boat above, and an extra 500 be added. If the player at least, if the player was revealed in the cash cards, a couple didn't lose any money. They moved in the next round. The last two cards on the row were a pair. The second card would be used as the base card for the row. But, okay. The theoretical maximum is 136,000. Uh, that's because if you were playing long at home, 1,000 becomes 2, 2,000 becomes 4,000, 4,000 becomes 8,000, then 8,500, 8,500 becomes $17,000, 17,000 becomes 34,000, I believe, 34,000 becomes 68,000, 68,000 becomes 136,000. I did the math in my head. Uh, so it's so good to see you, to see you good. I now get to talk about if I was to revive card sharks, what would I do? It's really tough when reviving uh, card sharks because I love card sharks and this is uh, one of those games where it's really tough to see if I can revive it. But I say this is the game show that could have, if I'm going to pick any game, there's only two game shows I can think of off the top of my head that could pair well with Family Feud right now, with Steve Harvey's Family Feud. Card sharks is one of them. The other one is the newlywed game. Because both of these game shows have emphasis on a contestant saying something ridiculous or something stupid being said and then the host reacting to it in a hilarious manner. In other words, the viral effect, which is an ongoing section we talk about when it comes to game shows. Family Feud loves it when the contestant says penis, so then Steve Harvey can go, oh my god, I can't believe you said penis. But this show is way ahead of the curve here if you want to talk about penis. So I was watching a lot of Joker's Wild for inspiration here because it has this nice nightclub setting. Yeah, there's the big slot machine. And then there is, you know, this nice like nightclub set with tables and chairs and cocktails. And that's when it started sparking into me what would card sharks look like modern day. And... I think that has to have the same uh, vibe. I think it has to keep that casino nightclub aesthetic that's also prevalent in Joker's Wild. But I think in this modern one, it almost has to have a lot of LED lights, I feel. I think for this kind of one, it needs to have two kind of set dressings, I feel. It needs to have an LED screen backdrop mixed with when it flips can turn into the classic uh, money card set of five cards each. And then opposite side, similar to card sharks as it was in the 70s and 80s, you have a giant LED screen with two different like suits that can act as like a video screen, which when rotated can turn into the money cards. I think the way it should go is it should have the tournament style that was prevalent in the last version because shoehorned no two out of three you win your two games this way uh to get to the money cards and it should have a fun aesthetic so the way it's going to work is it is played with four contestants 
uh, one is always a red suit and one is always a black suit. So one is a heart or a diamond, one's a club or a spade. So it'd be a heart versus a spade and then a, and then a diamond versus a club. Just, just for uh, example. Uh, each of those is one contestant and we play classic card sharks. There's five cards on the row. And there is a survey question. Now, survey questions are either are we asked 100 people survey questions, and sometimes it will be we polled America questions of we polled America what percentage of Americans believe, similar to that of Power of Ten, but it's a whole number percentage to get the higher or lower graphic. And now, because we are moved on from a stylistic point of LED lights. You can now have this really cool LED strip light that can have numbers and start flashing red or flashing blue to show who has the advantage. Uh, And when someone says higher, the back screen can flash a giant arrow going up or an arrow going down to illustrate higher or lower, which gives it some sort of visual appeal to what the game looks like if you're doing a survey. Uh... In this version of the show, only one person, only uh, you, if you get an exact answer, you get $1,000. I was thinking 5000 originally, but that's too cheap and someone could actually, you know, figure it out easily. So $1,000, no matter what happens to you, if you get an exact bid. If you win your first game, you get $1,000 as well. Uh, this is going to not really matter for the sake of the second game, which is played for $2,000. Follow me on it's $2,000. So the champions of either of those two games, so rather it's hearts or diamonds or diamonds and carts or clubs and spades, what have you, face off in the third act, which is another five-card card sharks. But this time around, because it's the champions, it's the high-stakes game, where the winner, quote-unquote, gets $2,000. And this time around, an exact one is worth $2,000 if an exact guess. And there's still only four survey questions per round and a tiebreaker and all that good stuff that happens if you've ever seen the original game show. Whoever wins uh, the third act goes on to the final round, the money cards, which then gets revealed Uh, in act four in act four they're playing with the three thousand dollars they have won in the first two games that they've won we start with round with level one where there is one thousand dollars and three cards they get to bet higher or lower on the set of cards but be careful if there is a matching card it does count as a loss And then we go into level two, where we give them $2,000 in two cards, much like in the 2001 revival, that pyramid shape. Where then, if they can survive both those, they go to the third one, the big bet, and it's still called the big bet, where they must risk at least half their money. In addition to all the money, which if you're playing along at home, is totaling up to $80,000 because one becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, add the 2,000, becomes $10,000, which becomes $20,000, which becomes $40,000, which at the big bet, if you go all the way, is $80,000. There's a chance to win a car. 
if you're able to sweep the game, as in you go through the entire big bet and are able to get through all five, go all through all six cards without making a mistake and going bust. We're going by going bust. We're not saying you, you got one wrong. Without going bust, you are playing with a big bet for not only the money at stake, but also a car. If and only if that final card at the big bet matches the suit you were designated with. If that is the four of diamonds and you're a diamond, you've won the car. If it's the four of diamonds and you're a spade, well, oh well. Better luck next time. At least you won some money. There is a $100 minimum bet, and all the bets must be in $100 increments. Uh, that's the way it goes. So if you've lost in the first round, you get 500 bucks. If you lost in the high stakes round, you got $1,000. And any money, one of the money cards is that of the contestant in this game. And that contestant, uh, I mean, if they go bust, uh, they go bust, I feel. The, the debate I had was rather or not all the other contestants don't get anything because I figure, well, that's kind of not fair for a contestant if they just if only one person gets to play for money. But hey, that's that could be uh, a reason uh, something like this could exist. But I also had a GSN kind of style for it where you get rid of the car if you're going the Game Show Network route. And it's 500 bucks at the base level with three cards. And then you go on to level two, where it's $1,000 and three cards. And then the big bet. Just like classic uh, card sharks, which will still offer up to $80,000 in cash, but just no car. It's just 500, 1,000, 2,004, at the 1,000 to 5,000. So then it's 10,000, 20,000, 40,000. Big bet makes it 80,000. I did the math. Or if you want to even cut it that way, you can make it so the second level is two and then it goes to the top. So it's $40,000. There you go, GSN. I saved you $40,000 potentially by just getting rid of one card if some person decides to go all the way. And then you cannot have the push rule in effect, which adds it even more. Uh, so Card Sharks is one of those games that I just am fascinated by and it's one that I really enjoy. Uh, the thing I, I just want to see revived is if, if you're going to do card sharks again, uh, you need to make it look like either a fun nightclub or you'll have to have a funny host to do it. And I, I mean, like one that definitely can read the questions. I mean, this is one that's like, maybe this is the, if Jordan could host a game show, I could probably say card sharks because of how much I love the show, but it could also be be like a king of comedy it could be uh kevin hart kevin hart can host the show uh but it it the appeal for card sharks has to be in the surveys so you have to bring back the surveys and because it is 2019 2020 uh survey questions are more you know riskier have you ever sent us a, a, a a, a nude photo of yourself have you ever uh regretted purchasing something from amazon have you ever stolen a box on the front door of someone's house 
do you know the first name of your neighbor? Something like that could be questions of today. Even questions that were used on card sharks like 70 years ago. We asked 100 college students, do you smoke pot in your dorm room? Like that question worked in the 1970s. It can work today. Uh, you, you, but I think the aesthetic needs to be something that is more vibrant. Uh, I want flashy lights. I want LED strip lights. I want bulbs. I want this to look like you are about to get blinded by a whole lot of LED lights mixed with dramatic lighting at the time of the money cards. And then there's like a car, like there's a, there's a fucking car like right there too, show off the entire time. So, Hey, potential car companies, if you want free advertising on Jordan's revival of car trucks, where you can win up to $80,000 in a new car. Uh, there you go. You got like 22 minutes of screen time for your car. You got the old beep beep. That's it, and it's card sharks. Cause so you're gonna have very silly questions, which means you get the viral appeal that so many of these game shows have, which I hear all about when it comes to some of these new revivals of classic game shows. We have to have the viral appeal. That's why we have to have Snoop Dogg as the host. That's why we gotta have Pyramid. It's, it's like, I get it, but you know, Card Sharks does that too. Maybe do Card Sharks. And because the top prize is $80,000, and theoretically no one will ever go all the way on every question, if you play the $1,000, $2,000 original format I had, with it's $1,000, three cards, then you have $2,000, two cards, and then the big bet, you get yourself some dilemmas here, because then the 2000 can be a 4000 8000 16000 event of a bust, which is still not that bad of a chunk of money. Uh, but you have to go all the way. In addition to that, it, it means that someone might have to be a bit more strategic when it comes to their betting. And I, what I like about the money cards on 2001's version, where there's the audience background, people are screaming higher or lower, and money amounts, like that adds to the drama and the decision that comes with card sharks. Because it is card sharks, you can now hesitate too, possibly, where the, at the big bet. If you have $14,000, if this is lower than a eight, you have won $28,000. Otherwise, it's out. Is it lower than an eight? It's a five. You've won. Things like that could work. Card Sharks is a game where it, it needs to have the comedy appeal of a survey, and it has to have the risk-taking of a card game, and a simplistic higher or lower game where it's nearly impossible for somebody to be just sitting in the passenger side of the best friend's ride. I don't want a scrub to win the game show. I want someone who actually is pretty lucky and knows higher or lower stuff. And then that one moment where someone might be counting cards in their head and they might be saying higher on something that's like a jack and have the audience go, no, boo, and then suddenly it's a king. I want moments like that again. And that's what I like about card sharks. It, it's, it's such a fascinating game. And I just wish that a lot of these producing companies for card sharks would just amplify it. Because the way you look at it now, it's it's just stagnant. But the game format is there. And the questions are there. And it's fun to watch. It could be revived. 
And I think that's the show I would most want to tackle would be a Card Sharks. I wouldn't say it's my favorite game show, but I will say that's the one that's most fun to tackle. Maybe that would press your luck. But Card Sharks, I think that's the one. That's the winner. Anyway, before we go, uh, is the changing of the cards. Before we change, before we get to the question, because there's a few, there's two questions. Uh, one involved around uh, changing the cards. When In the 80s version, I forgot to bring this up. In the 80s version of Card Sharks, you're allowed to change your card at any time rather than at the starting point of the row. In the 2001 revival, it's only at the front row. You can't change it at any time. In my version, I think you should change it at any point in the game as well. And I think that that could add for some quite interesting strategy as well. Uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, websites, Game Show Theory, had a big post about uh, the money cards and how to get the most out of it. And it's basically about uh, the story of risk aversion when it comes to a higher or lower bet in which card and when to switch. It's now time for the Price and Game Spotlight. I hate choking on my own snot. Anyway, the pricing game today is Money Game. Money Game premiered December 25th, 1972. Tape date 0171D. Money Game is a pricing game that offers a car and also awards small cash amounts. Gameplay. The contestant is shown a board containing nine two-digit number cards and is given the third digit in the five-digit price of a car. He or she must then guess which cards represent the first two and last two digits in the price. To do this, the contestant selects one card at a time, which covers either a dollar sign or an image of half of a car. The front half of the car is hidden by the first two digits and the back of the card by the last two digits. If a dollar sign is revealed, the number is placed in the player's cash column. Should the contestant find both halves or the car before four dollar signs, they win the car. Regardless, the player wins any cash they accumulate. When the game first premiered Christmas Day 1972, number 0171D, it was won right away. Originally, Money Game was played with four-digit cards and no free digit was given. Money Game was originally played on stage behind the giant price tag until December 24, 1981 when it moved to the turntable. Though an exception was at least on December 28, 1981 when it was still played on stage. It was first played for a five-digit car on February 22, 1990. The current game board debuted on September 10, 1991. The car silhouette used on the current board was based on a 1991 Ford Taurus until April 20, 2018, number 8305K. On the 1985 syndicated Price is Right host by Tom Kenny, Money Game was sometimes played for cars worth at least $10,000. The game was dubbed the Big Money Game, and the last digit was revealed first. Similar to that of Lucky 7 during the primetime specials, meaning the contestant then had to find the first two digits and the third and fourth digits of the price. On October 21st, 1998, the player almost filled up the cash column while playing for a 1996 Dodge Neon Highline sedan, but the player made an astonishing comeback by finding the first two numbers of the car's price and the last two numbers of the car's price and won the car. 
One of Money Games' most memorable plans was one aired February 19, 2002, when a contestant named Percy played for a 17,620 Ford Focus. As the car was described, Percy told Bob that his old car had recently been totaled. Percy went on to have an emotional joyous win as he celebrated his replacement car. Good luck paying taxes, Percy. Percy made another appearance on the episode that aired March 14, 2013. He wore a shirt that said, Money Game is my fame. And Drew gave him a shout-out as Money Game was played and won on that episode as well. Money Game was the first pricing game played on the first show broadcast with Drew Carey hosting. I had to say that. Money Game, the first pricing game played on the first show broadcasted by Drew Carey. October 30th, 2007, number 4062K. Aired out of order on October 15th. Although this show is not his actual first aired episode, his actual first episode was 4041K, was originally scheduled for October 15th, but aired out of order on October 16th. On October 23rd, 2013, a contestant named Adam Konsofsky won a $20,000 bonus for being the first person on stage to win their price game during PCH week. It was played in the third slot. He went on to win a showcase. On the April Fool's 2016 episode, the car select on both the money game sign and the price holder used a picture of a boat. Though the car picture was still used on the board behind the correct numbers. On the Thanksgiving College Rivals show, Philip Stouffer of Georgia Tech won $222, which he failed to win a Honda Fit, and Eric Sherman gets $1,000. I hate, I hated that week. Uh, January 10th, 2019, contestant Andre Wilson won $20,000 burst courtesy of Publisher Clearinghouse. Yeah, Publisher Clearinghouse Week exists. All right. There are three common practices the producers often use. This is the trivia. There are three common practices the producers often use in hiding the correct price. One is called El Cheapo, as coined by Bob Barker. Carrie continues that tradition today. Where the last two digits of the car is hidden behind one of the smallest numbers on the board, usually requiring a zero as the first digit to receive the moniker, which a contestant trying to bank the most money would be less likely to select. The other is the old front and back trick, also coined by Barker, where the first two numbers and the last two numbers are right next to each other, side by side on the board. Another common choice is to hide the back of the car behind a number ending in 0 or 5. Unlike practices in some other games, these are not rules that apply to every playing of the game. The last two numbers are not usually hidden behind a season number, although in rare occasions, the season number has the back of the car. A running joke in Drew Carey's time as host of shows the contestant chooses a 19 card in the game, Carey will repeat the number back as 19. This is a reference to the song 19 by Paul Hardcastle from his self-titled album released in 1985, which features a sample of someone saying the word 19 that loops back in the same way. First two-digit number choices are usually consecutive. Example, 20, 21, 22, and the last two-digit number choice is a six-choice number. There are usually only three logical possibilities for the first two digits in the price of the car, so while it's possible for a contestant to not get either the first or last numbers on the price of the car, they would have to play the game incredibly poorly for this to happen. Like in other games, the graphic that reveals the last two digits of a car is altered if the game is being played for a vehicle other than cars, such as an SUV or truck. Although never used on air, the losing horns are played once on February 3rd, 1995. That's right. This is the only game show. This is the only pricing game I can think of, except for maybe like, um, like any number, where you don't hear that infamous bow, 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 bow noise. Because theoretically, if you lose, you still get like a hundred bucks. Money game serves as an all-purpose substitute card game. Should in the intended card game break down, as it involves no electronics, it's easy to set up on short notice. 
An example of this happening was on October 28, 2003, when Triple Play was lost at the first car. After staff discovered that the wrong contestant was declared winner of the one bid, the first act was reshot with the winner of the one bid playing money game for Triple Play's second car. During this game, displays on contestants' row are used to keep track of the total amount of money that has been accumulated. This is generally not seen on camera, though it has happened once. The most number of times this game was played in any season was 48. Money Games board is in the shape of a giant dollar sign. That's that's a good thing. It's like a giant blue thing nowadays. It's a big blue uh, dollar sign, which I enjoy. I like that symbol. It's very neat. Uh, that's the second version. Bob Barker had it and Drew Carey's had it. All right, so... Uh, it's been played in foreign countries. Australia's version is never played for a card to win the prize. It usually consists of two pieces of furniture. Now, Kingdom of Bruce's version, not finding any half a card to persuade? No. Uh, in Germany, the real the card is half. Otherwise, it's the same as the United States. Mexico, the first and fourth digits are given for free as cards tend to be more than 100,000 Mexican dollars down there due to the roughly 10 to 1 exchange rate on the peso. Otherwise, it's the same as the United States. Vietnam, same as the U.S. States. However, it's played for uh, Vietnam dollars, dongs of 12 million, and a prize instead of a car. Uh, I, I mean, I love this game. It's a fun double-digit game, fun puzzle game. Uh, and it, it's, I say it's one that does not actually need the electronics. I think this is, while I really love electronic styles, I think Money Game works just as it is i if anything i think the logo or graphics should be more money based i i was gonna say uh if i was going to do some sort of uh revival of this like the game's still in existence this game has not been canceled if i was gonna do a money game i would just make it look more like a bank like think gold think dollar signs i love money uh where you can still grab the, the cards, so it's a green on white number. And you still keep the pink. I still think that hot pink needs to be back. You need to have that hot pink uh, to to reveal the car. Uh, or, or, or just keep going with the graphic design of how it always looks like the outline for the car in existence. I think that also is cool. Uh, the Halloween episode from last year was a black on uh, with a red text, with an orange text, like Halloween. Just do something like that. Just uh, green and gold and white and black. Something that screams money. Uh, but yeah, keep it still where it's very, very low. Uh, other than that, I would say keep it as is. The game is fine with its nine and get four. I, I enjoy it. It really could just stay the same. It's a versatile game. It's a fun card game. And I just, I enjoy it. I enjoy seeing that silhouette. And I actually did not know until right now about the uh, season. The season joke. That's neat. I knew about El Cheapo. But I always thought El Cheapo was kind of a way of saying, like, if it's the two lowest of the combination. So it's like the 19 and then, like, the 04 because it's the cheapest numbers because it's the cheapest car because they're usually money games played at a time when after like the the first half of the season's out and we've given away like thirty thousand dollar cars 
we have to give away like a, a fifteen thousand dollar Prius. Like Prius, we can't give away Prius anymore. We can give you away like a Kia. We can give away something with a manual transmission. And, and I that's how money game goes. I love it being played on the turntable. I I love I like how simplistic the game is played. And it's one of those games where people start screaming at you 14, 32, 45, and it's 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 a puzzle. Um the only thing I don't like about money game nowadays, but I think it's okay because the consolation is still like a hundred and something dollars, it's just those numbers. I think if anything, start with the first digit being the one and then do the double digits. So it's, you know, a little bit more instead of just what's in the center. But I understand why that center's there. That's a good thing because on a budget standpoint, you can just lose a couple of those numbers. Um, next time on Pricing Game Spotlight is Give or Keep. We have one question here. Uh, this is from my curious cat. This is from Ethan, who wants to know, why do you think being a male cheerleader was worse than living in an RV on baggage? Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with living in an RV or for financial reasons, but come on. Uh, that's the discretion of the contestant on baggage. Uh, I, I think when it came to that person's choice, maybe they have a barely harsh opinions about male cheerleaders. Um, or I don't know about the RV thing as a baggage. I think when it comes to the baggages, uh, the contestant application is just like, what's the wildest thing about you? What's the craziest thing you did to get back at an X so they can put something inside the baggage? Uh, that, that, that's a show that's also weird. Basically what I'm trying to get at is if you're going to be a contestant on these game shows, maybe don't write your personal stuff on the documents unless you want it to be told on air in front of a few hundred thousand people just throwing it out there but i understand why people like baggage it's a very very train wrecky kind of show the right kind of trashy uh that's gonna do it for for me this episode uh i want to thank you for for listening to me talk about card sharks uh, i also want to thank uh any guest episodes and let me know via email jordanhaas at gmail.com j-o-r-d-a-n-h-a-s-s at gmail.com and check out my articles and other podcasts at jordanhaas.com for more information uh we're gonna have a busy time with guest episodes let me know if you like those more than these solo projects because i know i'm just going on and on for as long as possible but uh, all, all I gotta say before we get ending is Card Sharks was a great game show uh, because all almost everyone has their own hosting style when it comes to this. I think Bill Rafferty is an underrated host, and I think that's going to be something that should be reminded of. Bill Rafferty was a very funny host for Card Sharks. Bob Eubanks was good, but I mean, everyone knows him for his work on Newlywed Game, but I think... Bill Rafferty's version of Card Sharks in the 80s was a good definitive version of Card Sharks. Sometimes I enjoy watching that version a little bit more than Jim Perry, even though it's a little bit sacrilegious. I do not care much for the card game on these shows, but I think there should be an incorporation of a car at the end. That's why my version with a card game is mostly based off the luck based of one of the designated suits and the ability to not bust on your way over there. 
Uh, I think that's the requirements to doing it, which makes it a real uphill battle for a lot of these people. Because if you're going to double your money, well, you could risk losing not only all of it, but also playing for the car. So so that, that adds some risk-reward. I like Bill Rafferty's version. I like Bob Eubanks' version. I think when it comes to the shows, I think Bob Eubanks is more recognized for a newlywed game than Card Sharks, though. But I think Bill Rafferty should get more attention for this version of Card Sharks than, say, Blockbusters, for instance. Uh, but Jim Perry is also one of the talented game show hosts. And if anyone out there can help me find a giant deck of playing cards that have card sharks emblems on them, please let me know. I'd really like them in my house to play oversized versions of like Crazy 8s or most likely just card sharks. Uh, thank you once again for tuning in. Once again, email me, jordanhaas at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at jordha, J-O-R-D-H-A. And until next time, big smooch. This is Gene Woods speaking for Card Sharks. A Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production.